Matthew 5. We're going to read it, and then I'm going to pray. We're going to do a little bit of review from yesterday, so we're all caught up, and then we'll get into this today. Okay? Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, listen, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you would, as we look at this section that's probably really familiar to a lot of us, we pray, God, that you would help us to think of it afresh. You would help us to not... Um, lessen what you said to not make it less than what you said it is and that Lord we would have the confidence because of Jesus and his death and resurrection the confidence God that you can change us so we can learn to love like this father help us not to try to make it easier on ourselves help us to trust you who can do the impossible please Lord we pray in Jesus name Amen. Amen. Okay, so yesterday we talked about how often we perceive love in different ways. And we mentioned four Greek words. We, you, some of you guys can't see this. We mentioned the Greek word storge, which is a word that talks about family love or love from a parent to a child. We talked about phileo, which is brotherly love, like as in Philadelphia, but also can mean friendship love. It's like peer-to-peer -peer love. And then we also talked about eros. You can get the word erotic, but it's not just sexual. It's romantic love. The love that happens between people when they start falling in love, as we say. We also talked about this Greek word agape, which is the word that's most used in the scripture to talk about God's love. The love that God has within himself, because the Bible, as we saw yesterday, God is love. But also the love that God calls us to show to one another. The, God, the love that God wants to produce in us, which is what we're talking about today. And, and so what we're going to, we talked about uh, yesterday was the fact that love is bigger than we think. The fact that we tend to perceive love through our families or our friendships or our romantic attachments. But love is way bigger than that. We talked about that love is eternal. That God himself defines what love is. That the God of the Bible, the God we worship, is three in one. Father, Son, and Spirit. And so love has always been, and God created the world, and God created us because he's loved. He wants to share himself with us. So it's way bigger than just our families, our friendships, or our romantic attachments. This is what agape is all about. Now, the truth is, though, is from the verses we just read, that God calls us to practice the love that he's shown to us, and that practice is way harder than we can imagine. The standard that God sets for us for love is way bigger than just have a good family, you know, make sure you're nice to your friends and enjoy some romantic life in your, you know, in your, in your existence. It's way bigger than that. And so we want to talk about that. We want to talk about the fact that love is harder than we think. And the point of this is not to make us feel bad. Though, I think as we read this, we're going to realize, gosh, we should probably feel bad. We don't love very well, do we? But the point is really, the point is, is for us to recognize how supernatural love actually is. 
And the truth is, as we mentioned yesterday, when we begin to understand agape, the love that God has shown, the love that God is, the love that God calls us to, then storge family love, phileo friendship love, and eros romantic love actually fall into place. So I want to give you three reasons why, three reasons why love is harder than we think. And the first one is this. It's because we undervalue God's love. It's hard to love because we actually undervalue God's love. We see it as less than it actually is, or we see love as less, less than it actually is. Look at verse 43 again. Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall love your enemies, and, or, I'm sorry, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Now, when he said that, I can imagine all of those that were listening to him, this is the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is on this hillside and there's literally thousands of people listening to him preach. I can imagine when he says this, they're all like, not yeah, that makes sense. You love the people that are close to you and hate those people that are against you. That makes perfect sense. I remember years ago when we lived in Sprouston, we had a neighbor, little neighbor kid named Eddie. And this kid, would, there was no guile, man. He said what he thought. And, and one, of the, one of my kids said to another kid, you need to love your enemies. And then Eddie says, that's crazy. I'm not going to love my enemies. And he just simply verbalized what we all feel. Why would I love my enemy? He's my enemy. But Jesus went further than that. He didn't just say love your enemy. Like, like This is not like have pity on your enemy. This is actually love. He, he, he took it further. He says in verse 44, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and do, those, uh, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully, spitefully use and persecute you. So Jesus isn't calling his followers to simply feel sorry for people that are mean to you. That's not what he's calling us to. It's way bigger than that. <coughs> he's calling us to actually pursue good towards them. Now, the, the first reason that this is that we, we tend to undervalue God is because, uh, this is under letter A, by the way, we assume we already know what love is. We make this assumption. We think, well, I, I know love. I have a nice family, or I have good friends, or I got a great romantic partner. And so we think, I know what love is. We assume we already know what it is. We'll talk more about this as, when we get to verse 46 and 47, but I want you to listen to this quote from a real famous Christian thinker named C.S. Lewis. He said, every human love, speaking mainly about these, every human love at its height has a tendency to claim for itself divine authority. Here's what he means by that. He means when we have just a great family, we think it's not going to get better than this. And then you know what happens? And some of you guys have experienced this. You have this great family life, and then something falls apart, and you're absolutely devastated. Or, what about friendships? Anybody here ever been let down or betrayed by a friend? We think, this is it. I have the, the, my clique, my crew, they got my back, we're all together. And then they treat you badly. And you think, man, wh what's going to happen? And maybe we shouldn't even get into the whole romantic partner thing. <laughs> because I don't know how many times my heart's been broken, or shamefully how many times I've broken someone else's heart because we what happens is we exalt these to the max and then they always betray us these are good things but as i said many times before when a good thing becomes a god thing something we worship it becomes a bad thing only god is worthy to be put first so we assume we know what love is but also listen we just read that jesus calls us to not just have you know feel sorry for those that are our enemies he says to us specifically that we're to love and do good to others. You know why? This is why. When he talks this way, when he gives this command, he's wanting his audience to recognize this is how God has loved you. 
You see, we don't want to admit this, but the truth is, we were the enemies of God, the cursers of God, the haters of God. You go, oh, I don't know, John, that's a bit harsh. I don't think I've ever felt that way. Well, understand this, okay? First of all, when we talk about the enemies of God, if, if the British government makes a law, okay, let's assume for a minute it's just. We don't need to get into politics. <laughs> but they say they make a just law. And they go, I ain't doing that. Forget that. I'm going to do what I want to do. You know what you've done? you made yourself an enemy to the state. Because you said, I don't want to do what the authority justly says you should do. You make yourself an enemy to the state. I've had this experience with speed cameras. <laughs> more times than I'd care to admit. I have more licenses, uh, more points in my license than hairs on my head. I'll just say that. <laughs> because when I said, I can go 35 in a 30, there's no cars in the road. If I do that, you know what I do? I'm making myself an enemy of the state. We do that with God. We see laws or we, we have an intuitive sense of right and wrong and we go, ah, forget that, I'm not going to do that. What are we doing? We're making ourselves an enemy. What about cursors? Now some of you guys, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, don't worry. I'm not going to expose you, don't worry. But some of us, if we are honest, would admit there's times when we've cursed God. I, I will confess, there's times, even as a believer, where I've wanted to just curse God. Leave me alone. I'm sick of this conviction. This life's too hard. Where does that come from? It comes from me. It comes from me. I have this heart that wants to push God away. And what about haters? Now we can think of the sort of, um, the, maybe the hardcore atheists that we've seen in the last couple of decades that have come up that have been literal haters of God. They say not just that Christianity is foolish, but it's dangerous, that kind of a thing. That's easy to say, to, to kind of point at them. But the truth is, often we hate God because we make up what we think God ought to be, and that made-up God in our head disappoints us. Or what we do is, we, 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 we think this is, we assume that God is a certain way, and we think, I don't want to serve that God. It's funny because people often, I've heard people say to me lots of times, I've had lots of conversations with people, and they'll say, I can't believe in God. And they'll say, why? Because he, he does all these bad things. And I'm all, okay, let, let's talk about the God you don't believe in. And describe the God that they don't believe in. I'm like, well, I don't believe in that God either. I don't believe in a God who, who randomly just decides to do whatever he wants. I believe in a God who, who doesn't ignore the fact that this world is full of suffering. In fact, a God who took on human flesh and experienced all the suffering that we experienced so that he could redeem us from that suffering. That's the God I believe in. So see, here, here's the truth, okay? We're talking about the fact that, that we were this way. And here's what the scripture says. Listen, it's in your notes. Listen to this, Romans chapter 5. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. When you see the word sinners, think enemies, cursors, haters, okay? For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, that's what Jesus gave to us by his death, right? While we were still his enemies, it says, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. In other words, what, what, what God says here, what, what Paul says in the book of Romans, the same thing that Jesus is saying here, is that, do you recognize how great God's love for you is? God doesn't look at you and go, oh, you poor thing, you've gone through so many hard things. Don't get me wrong, God has compassion on all the hard things you've gone through. I'm, I'm not denying God's great compassion for 
how people have sinned against us. But God also sees us in all the sins we've done against Him and other people. Things that we would never want to admit to, things that we want to keep out of our minds. He sees that and He says, do you realize in that state I love you? Do you realize in that state, when you were thumbing your nose at me, is when Christ came to die. That's how great God's love is for us. And the reason we find loving others so hard is because we don't want to believe that. We want to think that we're more than just enemies, haters, and cursors. But ultimately, that is our who we are ultimately. See, we undervalue God's love for us because we overvalue who we are. As well as, as we see in verse 45, we reject or we forget or reject God himself as the standard. Verse 48, or we'll see more about verse 48, but verse 45, Jesus says, doing this means that you may be the sons of your father. The idea about this is not that you, be, you, you become part of God's family and when you start loving like this, that's not the way it works in Christianity. We don't do to get accepted. We ex we're accepted and then we do. We need to understand that, okay? But what he means is, when he talks about sons and to fathers, he means then you'll be carrying on the character of God. When we begin to love like this, we're loving the way God does, he says. And here's how he describes it. For God makes his son to rise on evil and good and sends rain on the just and unjust. And we forget that. Or we reject that. Or we devalue that. This is why it's so hard for us to love. Because we don't recognize how radically loved we are. Have you noticed when you feel like you're doing really good, you yeah, I think I'm doing good. I'm a good dad, I'm a good husband, I'm a good neighbor, I'm a good friend. That it's it's kind of easier for you to be nice to people, especially people that just, well, let's be honest, they're just not as good as you are. But guess what? When you're like that, it's not love. See, the love that God has is a love that only exists in God himself, and it's a love that he shared with us through Jesus, and it's a love that he produces in us by his Spirit, so that our motivation is not so much like, hey, I'm doing pretty good, but like, I'm a wretch, but I'm still loved by God, and you're a wretch, so I'm going to love you too. So, we undervalue God's love for us. That's the first point. Second point, verses 46 and 48, we overvalue our own love. Look what he says in verse, both verses 46 and 47. Notice he says, Jesus says, For if you love those that love you, what reward have you? He says in verse 47, If you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Now what he's talking about here is, we think, I'm a pretty loving person. Again, a nice family, good friendships, nice romantic attachments. I'm a pretty good person. i got pretty good things going on. But Jesus is exposing the fact that our human love tends to only extend to people who are like us. Now, I'm not talking about sort of sort of petty personality differences. I mean, Sarah and I are quite different, and we love each other, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that it's it's not that hard to love Sarah in one sense, not that hard for Sarah to love me in one sense, because we're, we're married. This is what we do. We share the same house. We have the same kids. This is what we do. If we, we, there's a sameness there. And let's be honest, it's not that, it's not that hard to love people that go to your own church. So you get to know them really well. <laughs> it's not that hard. In other words, we tend to love people that are like us. This is what we do. And we think in that human love, well, that's sufficient. As long as I love someone who's like me. If they believe like me, if they act like me, if they have the same values that I have, then that's good enough. And Jesus is saying, it's, it's, it's really not. Do you understand something? Listen, 
do, do you understand that terrorists, terrorists love their families and their friends and their romantic partners? They really do. I'm, I'm just saying there, there, there's evidence that some might. No, they do. They just do. It's natural. It's human. In fact, most of them use this, those loves, to justify doing radically unjust things. Which brings us to the second bit. Because here's what he says in verse uh, verse 46 and 47 again. Notice he says, Do not even tax collectors do the same, he says. In verse 47, same thing. Do not even tax collectors do so. Now, no, none of us like tax collectors in the sense of none of us like paying too many taxes, okay? But don't think of tax collectors as just someone who you're filling out a paper to. In the, in the first century when Jesus wrote this, tax collectors were those who were collecting taxes from, say, the Jewish population for the Roman government. And the way the Roman government got those taxes collected was they hired Jews from the community to come and basically gather taxes in the name of Rome so you couldn't say no to these tax collectors. And whenever they, they had to gather a certain amount, and whenever they gathered over that, they got to pocket. So these tax collectors were filthy rich by exploiting people who were the most vulnerable. They were the terrorists, you might say, of their day. They were the corporate thieves of their day. And guess what? They still love their wives and their kids and their friends. And Jesus is saying, this is the problem. We look at that kind of love and think, that's enough. It's not enough. Because when that's as far as our love go, goes, we justify all kinds of injustices. Guys, I've seen churches fall apart over the stupidest things. You know why? Because we tell ourselves we're actually very loving people to those who have the same exact theology, to those who like the same color carpet. I ain't exaggerating here. To those who raise their kids exactly like we raised our kids. And this is what happens. We take our love and we think this is enough. And the love that God calls us to is much bigger and much harder to live out. It's bigger than this. Now, now we have to understand something, okay? Um, our love tends to ignore injustice. And, and we need to understand injustice is simply my benefit at other people's harm. That's injustice. So I, I'm really not that upset about the cups. I want to be clear. I'm really not upset I got the cups. But it's, a, it's an illustration that hopefully you understand. So I just want to be clear. But seriously, the fact that you, you all chose, many of you chose not to wash your cup and leave it all around, meant that those who cleaned up had to spend an extra 15 minutes or lose an extra 15 or 30 minutes of sleep to clean up after you because you guys didn't want to do the one thing we asked you to do. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel that guilty. It's not that big a deal. It's just a cup, right? It is. But what, this is what happens. We justify that little thing and then something a little bit bigger. Am I really harming my wife if I look at pornography? It's not that big a deal, is it? No, it's a huge deal. Am I really harming my husband if I flip with a postman? I don't know if anybody actually does that. But... <laughs> <laughs> am, I, am I really harming my kids? Am I really harming my kids if I say, just, can you leave me be? Here's a screen to look at. I'm going to look at my own screen. Is it really that big a deal? Yes, it is. Because you're choosing your comfort, your pleasure, your whatever at the harm of somebody else. It's not the love that God calls us to. It's not the love that God gave to us. 
Now we have to understand something else as well, especially for those of us who are already Jesus followers. He calls us to be committed to this kind of love. Remember we talked about the, the best way to, to talk about agape love, the best sort of English word is not love, but commitment, right? And so God calls us to a, a commitment that's unified. And unity is not sameness, but commitment to one another under the same love. We talk about a lot, you know, the, the trustees and I, Adam and Neil and Mike and I, we talk about a lot, like it's really shocking that our church never split because we are a diverse group. Different ethnic backgrounds, different church backgrounds, different social backgrounds. But the way we're going to continue to be unified is not to all become the same. It's to be committed to the same love. The love that God has for us. We're only going to love each other if we're committed to the love that God has for us. Jesus prayed for us. We read this last yesterday. Jesus prayed in John 17, uh, 23. I and them, that's Jesus in us, and you, Father, in me, he's praying, so that they, that's us, may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Listen, servants church, when we love each other because we go to the same church, the world's not impressed. They go, that's nice. That's really nice. But when they find out that we've actually burned each other on business deals, or we've been rude to each other, and we still forgive and love each other, then they go, whoa, that's, that's something different. When our kids treat each other badly, and we all want to blame the other person's kids, and we still say, no, it's wrong, we're going to just love each other and give each other the benefit of the doubt, then people go, whoa, that's different. Toddler groups fall out on stuff all the time, and we think, no, we're going to do something better than that. When we serve on a ministry team together, and we have different ideas of how that ministry team uh, should happen, and yet we can't quite agree, but we say, you know, it doesn't matter, we're going to esteem someone else's opinion over else and just serve each other. That's, that's when we're moving towards this love that God has for us. Now, third reason. First one was, we, we love's harder than we think because we undervalue God's love. Second one is because we overvalue our own loves. The third one is, is because God's love is not just about, it's not just, I'm sorry, it's because it is about motives, not just about actions. And that might be surprising to you. You might have even heard me say before, listen, you might not feel like you want to do something, but do it anyway. Because I am not saying, and the Bible's not teaching, it doesn't, you know, as long as your motives are right, it doesn't matter what you do. It's not what it's saying at all. It's saying both your motives and your actions matter, and your motives are a big deal. This is why love is harder than it's supposed to be, than you think. Verse 48. Therefore, Jesus says, Jesus said this. I ain't making this up. This is what Jesus said. Therefore, he says, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And all God's people said, I'm condemned. <laughs> Because we hear this, we go, that's impossible. No one can do this. Hey, it gets rougher than this. If you look, if you have um, one of these notebooks, if you don't, see if you can look next to somebody. In the very On page 1 is 1 Corinthians 13. Some of the most beautiful words ever written about love. 1 Corinthians 13. And, 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 but they're so beautiful, we forget about how, whew, how heavy and how high the standard is. Look at the first three verses with me. 1 Corinthians 13. Paul writes, Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love, 
I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. In other words, if I can speak in supernatural languages, if I have never learned Spanish, and yet supernaturally I can praise God in Spanish, and yet there's no love in my heart, it's absolutely pointless. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this or experienced this. I have. I've seen people. I've seen a person who, uh, it's a lily white guy, you know, almost as white as Rory. I've seen a guy. I've seen a guy, listen, who, when we were at a prayer meeting and we're praying, he stands up, normal guy, not a weird guy, nice guy. He starts praying. He prays in some Asian language. It's an obvious Asian language. And I'm going, well, that guy speaks Chinese or whatever that is. What is that? And after he prays, he says, um, he, he says, I think I have the interpretation. He then speaks in English. And I'm like, how did you do that? And someone there who, who uh, recognized language as a legitimate language goes, wow, that guy seems to know Chinese. He goes, no, I never learned Chinese. It's called the gift of tongues. People can actually do this stuff. It actually happens. The Holy Spirit gives people the ability to do this stuff. Now, your church experience might be where that doesn't happen, or you might think that's all weird stuff. That's a whole other topic. The point is, he's talking about something really supernatural that can happen, and if it really off actually happens, but you don't have love, you're just like, clang, clang, clang. Is that annoying enough? Clang, clang, clang. That's what you are. But I get the supernatural thing. If there's no love, it's pointless. It's pointless. He says in verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy, that is, speaking a specific word for a specific person at a specific time, and I can understand all mysteries and all knowledge, you're a theological giant. You know all there is to know about God. And though I have all faith, I can survive and get through any trial because I trust God. If I have all these things, I can actually remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. You know what happens to people that are spiritual giants that have faith to move mountains? They, and they don't have love, they chuck the mountain on somebody else. That's what happens. God calls us to have the right motives in what we do. You want to know how you can pray for me as your pastor? You can pray that I have the right motives. Because sometimes, in fact, maybe most of the time, God might speak through me to you guys, and my motives are completely wrong. God says it's nothing. Because, man, I don't want to get to heaven and see God. I, I know I'm going to get there. I, I know I don't deserve to be there, but I am and completely confident I'm going to get there only because of what Jesus has done. But I don't want to get there and God say, here's your crown. They give me one of those paper Burger King crowns. You know, <laughs> because, John, almost everything he did was not in love. I don't want to be there. See, see, God is calling us to a standard where our heart actually looks to each other and says, I want to be committed to you even though you're different than me. Even though we might not get on. Even though our accents are different, or our backgrounds are different, or even our understanding of certain scriptures is different. But because of who Jesus is, because of who our three-in-one God is, I'm committed to you because that God is committed to me. Verse 3, he says, and this blows my mind. He says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Notice he didn't say, No, I just go to Supra. But I give up all my goods to feed the poor. I don't know. Does anybody here know anybody who's actually sold all they had and given it to the poor? He says, Though someone may do that. I know someone who did that for a season. Though someone may do that. Listen. 
He says, though I give my body to be burned. Anybody here know who's been, anybody know, in here, know someone who's been killed for their faith? I do know somebody who went to Calvary Chapel, Cambridge. It was on the news when he, those missionaries that were in Africa that were killed, one of them went to Calvary Chapel in Cambridge. Rory probably knows him too. Can you imagine dying for your faith, giving your body to be burned and tortured for your faith? Listen, he says, but if I do these things, give all that I have to feed the poor, my body be burned, but I have not loved, it profits me nothing. Can you see that love is way harder? The love that God's calling us to is way harder than we think. This is why we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. Because the work of the Holy Spirit, that supernatural work that God the Spirit does in our hearts to make us alive to God and to make us be able to love like this, it's not so that we can speak in another language, though that sometimes that happens. It's not so that we can prophesy or have a great mystery, though sometimes that happens. It's so that we can love the way God loves. This is why we have a 20-minute break between worship in song and worship in the Word so that we can say, God, fill me with your Spirit so I can love like this. These people, they're different. The Bible says this in Galatians chapter 5, going back to your notes. The standard that's higher than our good deeds. Here's what he says. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, which we all have a sinful nature, it's not just it's not just before we're Christians. It's all of us. We still have a wrestle with a sinful nature. Okay, even as believers, he says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear: sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry. That's basically worshiping a god other than the, the god of, who created all. Sorcery. The Greek word there is pharmakia. It can mean drug use. Okay. Uh, hostility. Anybody been guilty of losing their their temper? Quarreling. Anybody getting stupid fights with people? Jealousy. Everybody. Anybody ever kind of look at something somebody else has had and go, they don't deserve that? Outbursts of anger. No, I've never done that. <laughs> Today. <laughs> Yet. Selfish ambition. Dissensions. Everybody want to kind of make, you know, cut off people. Division. Same kind of thing. Envy. Drunkenness. Wild parties. And other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I've told you before, that anyone living, you might say, continuing to practice this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. They don't get to go to heaven. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. See, listen. This is, again, I want to be really clear. This is God not saying, this is the Bible not saying that you better be loving or you're not going to earn heaven. Not at all. It's saying if you want to just keep thinking these natural human loves are going to be enough not only to satisfy you, but to make you good enough for God, you're going to recognize that these are gifts, as we're going to talk about tomorrow, from God. But these by themselves have to be put under His love or they're empty and they're vain and they leave us lost. See, we're not talking about try harder. We're talking about give up and trust God. Trust God. You know what I used to do to people that were different than me? I ignored them. If they refused to be ignored, 
I yelled and cussed at them. If they didn't walk away, I hit them as hard as I could. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Guess what I used to do? You know what I do now with people that I don't like? I feel all this anger and rage inside my heart. <laughs> and if, if, if I'm thinking about Jesus, I go and I pray and say, God, you got to help me because I'm probably thinking about them wrong anyway, and I need your love for people. You know what I've experienced with other Christians? Some I've had some people that have sort of chucked me aside because they didn't like what I did or they didn't agree with what I believed. But I've had lots of Christians who I've treated badly and had to go and apologize. You know what they do? They forgive. And the ones that forgive and want to keep relationship are the ones that I can tell, man, you know God's forgiven you, don't you? You see, it's only when we know how loved we are that we can love even our enemies. It's only when we recognize... That, that, that God is so committed to us that we can commit to people that are just like us, messed up human beings. See, love is, is not just bigger than we think. Love's harder than we think. And it requires that supernatural work of God to come to pass. See, we have to put God first. This is why Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. Here's what he's saying. He's saying all these loves, family love, friendship love, romantic love, have to come under the love that God has for us and the love that we have for God. It's only when we do that that these other loves actually work. <coughs> he's not saying don't love this way. He's saying that love only works when it comes under here. I want to close with this, close with this quote from C.S. Lewis, another, another, again, that great Christian thinker. Here's what he wrote. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around in hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Folks, have we not learned yet that if our the greatest love we can pursue is family love, that we're going to be crushed? Or the greatest love that we pursue is friendship love, that we're going to be disappointed? Or the greatest love is romantic love, but we're going to be heartbroken. Guys, listen, if you're going to be vulnerable to somebody, if you want any love in this life, you've got to be vulnerable to somebody. Why not choose your, to be completely vulnerable to the God who already knows everything about you? He knows how you hated, cursed, and been an enemy. And He still loved you enough to send His only Son to God for you. He love is, is bigger than you think. Love is harder than you think. But love is greater than you think. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. And Lord, we just confess that we don't love like that. We don't, Lord. We know we don't love like that. And yet, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to grow in this love. And Lord, I pray, Lord, as we talk about this again tomorrow, we talk about that love is closer than we think, Lord, that we would be encouraged that you are changing us. And that you are showing us your love primarily through what Jesus did, but also through what you're doing through your people. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us today to, 
to think about how broken we actually are and to think about how much you actually still love us. Bring that truth into our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.